It's The Luminaries with David Odyssey. This time, it's the astrology of the one and only Paris Hilton, featuring the one and only John Juan, aka Kiko Soiree. It's a really good one, I promise. I don't need to promise you anything, by the way. Okay, but first, thoughts on Margot Robbie, Beanie Feldstein, Woodstock 99, and The White Lotus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the saga. Good morning and good luck. Um, before we get into the the vast amount of business uh, we have to cover, and then uh, and then hit one of my all time favorite episodes, I think we've done. Um, I want to say that my self confidence has been under attack lately. And I feel kind of crushed. So I thought I'd open the episode by reading, you know, we've all read it before, but I think I would, I just wanted to remind us of Grace Jones' um, tour rider. Um, So, Grace's dressing rooms shall be equipped with six bottles of Louis Roderera Cristal Champagne, three bottles of French vintage red wine, e.g. Saint-Emilion Medoc Bordeaux, (laughs) Three bottles of French vintage white wine, e.g. Sancerre, Poulifruis. Uh, two dozen Findeclar or uh, Colchester oysters on ice, unopened. Grace does her own shucking, and I think that's really important. Two sashimi and two sushi platters for eight people, yes God. Six fresh lemons, one bottle of Tabasco sauce, one fresh fruit platter for eight people. Six bottles of Coca-Cola, woman after my own heart. Twelve bottles of still and sparkling water. Twelve bottles of fresh fruit juices. Wine glasses, champagne flutes, tumblers, all glass, no plastic, that's right. Cutlery and sharp knife, one oyster knife. One makeup mirror, no neon strip lighting, only opaque white bulbs. Fresh towels, clothes hangers, clothes rail, three to four bunches of flowers, prefers lilies and orchids, sofa, and armchairs. Look, uh, I've been working very... It's Working on the Virgo season article is taking me a lot longer than I thought, but it's having a very profound effect because Virgos are all about the negotiation of self-worth, and Grace, like me, is a Taurus, but... I just think thematically there's a lot there. Wow, just reading that made me feel better. Okay. Um, So let's begin with the news. Yes, I watched the Monica Lewinsky trailer, thrilled. I want to remind everyone that I did see Monica Lewinsky and Blondie at a Justin Vivian Bond show at Joe's Pub. I was there with Peter Smith. Peter dropped to their knees. Um, I am game. Listen. I have a lot, you know, listen, you've heard what I have to say about Triple Scorpio, Ryan Murphy, but I loved American Crime Story. I I loved American Crime Story once, I think by episode four, once Marsha Clark comes in. If you think I give a shit about, like, the stories of the men involved, boring, but we know what we're in for. Beanie Feldstein will be taking the role of Fanny Bryce in my favorite musical, Funny Girl. Um, a quick aside, and I know that I'm like a total neophyte here, but while listening to the, um, Mel B, Mel B Sporty Spice, hello, um, wait, I, I'm, I'm saying that right, 
No, 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 I'm sorry. Mel C, everyone. While listening to the Mel C cover album of Broadway uh, Standards, which is called Stages, in which she has a very good duet with um, Baby Spice to Wasn't It Good from Chess. Better, I think, than the Whitney Houston version. I hate to say it. Um, I fell upon the Bette Midler Gypsy album, which I'd never heard, and fuck. Um, I think I've mentioned on this podcast that my grandfather, Holocaust survivor, never spoke a single word of English, was obsessed with Bette Midler. He just, like, truly thought she was a true showgirl. Um, And he loved, like, her... He thought, like... He loved that she had some meat on her bones. Let's just put it that way. Like, he loved that she had this, like, look because he, he, he thought that there would be some... It lended her an air of authenticity. Um, Beanie is going to be in Funny Girl. Now, we know that Funny Girl has had a long and contentious history. Um, Lauren Ambrose was going to be doing it, but I'm pretty sure Barbara sabotaged it because she kept saying that Lauren's voice was too deep. And some people thought that Leah Michelle was going to do it, but that never happened. I mean, give me a fucking break. So... Actually, she would have been great, but, you know, whatever. Beanie will be doing Funny Girl, um, and my sincerest hope is that the song Rat Tat 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 is included. Rat Tat 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 is an offensive <laughs> song about about um, recruiting New York troops to go fight the Kaiser in World War One, and... Barbara Streisand plays the Jewish recruit. I'm just gonna... I have to... I just have to do this. I'm Private Schwartz from Wachovay. And I guess you heard reports that the Kaiser runs a block away when they tell him, here comes Schwartz. Cause when I get bad, believe it, Jack, out of nowhere comes a maniac. A kick in the foot, a shot in the pants. I wouldn't give a second chance. Schwartz from Rockaway. Then there's the part about, and my bagels gave a spin. Oi, oi. <laughs> there's like a lyric about Simmus, uh, Irving Schwartz and company. Um, so it's like, obviously, I think the greatest song ever written where Barbara Streisand is playing like a Jewish war recruit. Uh, from Rockaway, who, like, has a Yiddish accent. Naturally, it is deeply offensive. If they do it live, like, people will leave the theater, but I will be there, tears in my eyes, uh, grateful that some element of authenticity to our history has been paid. Um, How's Jackie Hoffman doing? I haven't seen her Fiddler on the Roof show. Uh, Not Fiddler on the Roof, the one where she plays... A, a local regional actress doing a regional theater performance of Fiddler on the Roof. Did you get that? Um, okay. Woodstock 99. Run, don't walk. I mean, listen, this is the thing about Woodstock 99. I loved watching it. It's on HBO. It really rocked my world. It gave me nightmares for nights. So, you know, if you have any relationship to um, 90s era violent male animus, maybe steer clear, but I loved it. 
It's so... Listen, if you listen to this podcast, you know that my favorite era is the um, years immediately preceding 9-11, where things were just getting really violent and jacked up. You know, I love films like uh, Sugar and Spice, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Bring It On, um, etc., etc. This goes through uh, the another level, which is the new metal takeover and Columbine and all of that. It's fascinating. Um, the Fred Durst phenomenon, I would love someone to explain that to me. Um, obviously, the best part of Woodstock 99 is when Jewel is interviewed and Jewel is like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck was going on. Jewel is just like, why am I here? Same with Alanis. They're like, why Why was I invited to this? Um yeah, it was pretty fucked up. Um, f- speaking of savagery, White Lotus is finished, sadly. Um, I read the Mike White interview in Vulture, and frankly, I'm still... I think I'm still absorbing it because it's so complicated, and he's basically... He's basically saying, like, you can't cancel me because I am this thing. Like, he's basically saying what needed to be said 10 years ago, which is, like, you need to be... If you have complaints about who's creating something, you need to be going after the network itself and the studios themselves and making sure that everyone is getting a fair shot. But when it comes to the artistic work of one person, say, a white gay doing a class satire, that is his prerogative. And he's also saying, like, it's important that he's given the chance to wrestle with it, even if it isn't done perfectly. I think that's what he's saying. And by the way, if if it's coming out differently, that's good, too. You know, I I can see how the ending r- could rub you the wrong way, the ending of that show. But I think it was true, um, which is sad, but that is the point, you know. And it was very upsetting where he said that, well, I'm just going to pull it up, but he has a line about Enlightened um, that really kind of upset me because he's now been mentioning that there is an offer to do Enlightened for a third season and that he won't do it, um, which is so, so, so sad to me. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. I do feel more cynical than I did when I was writing Amy Jellico. It's one of the things that's come to me when they asked me about doing a third season of Enlightened. What would be the words of wisdom? What would be the voiceover of Amy Jellico now? I don't understand. <sighs> yeah, that just, I don't know, that made me really sad. He basically talks about how, like, it's been 10 years since Enlightened started, and now he's not sure, like, who the villains are. Like, is he the villain? Does that idealism, like, exist anymore? Um, I had sex this week to the Jesse Ware extended nonstop continuous cut, which is only on SoundCloud. And let me say something. I highly recommend it. Um... 
I am rewatching Justice League Unlimited, which I have to tell you gets better every rewatch. It is a brilliant show. It's deeply complex. It's really humiliating for someone like Zack Snyder because I'm like, how is this animated series for 10-year-olds so much better than anything you've ever done? Um, Green Lantern, Jon Stewart. I don't really understand why he wasn't more of a thing with DC's corporate rebranding. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. I took myself last Monday to the Williamsburg Cinema to see The Suicide Squad. Bought myself popcorn, and I had a blast. I loved it. I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it moved really quickly, and I don't want to use the word self-aware because, as we've stated before, um, straight men are not capable of self-awareness. But I thought it was like... um, it knew what it needed to be. Um, as usual, I find the costuming really beautiful from DC, and I loved Margot Robbie's looks in it. Um, I thought she was great. It led me to a rewatch of Birds of Prey, which I similarly took myself to see alone in a theater in the middle of a day when that came out. Classically, that movie came out right before the pandemic. And I think when I saw it, you know, Birds of Prey when I was in high school was my number one. And when I saw the movie, I I think I was so mad that I didn't write it. And I was a little mad because Huntress and Black Canary and Renee Montoya are two of my favorite characters. And they're in it and they're good. They just get a little bit short, short change because they just don't get as much screen time as, you know, they each could have their own movie. However, upon rewatching it, and I read this interview with the costume director about like how she wanted to make the costumes really like for women and not to be under a male gaze. I truly loved it. Um, I think there's like a true valor to it because I think the movie is made to be watched by teen girls on a sleepover. Like the movie is really made for girls who shop at Hot Topic and like go home, have a sleepover together and want to watch something like fun and crazy and a little violent. And I think that's like very valiant, especially compared to something like Captain Marvel, which is not for women, not about women, not about anything. I found it, first of all, like the costuming is beyond any other movie. I think it might be the best superhero costuming in a movie. You you know, listen, obviously something like Catwoman's costume is iconic, but in terms of the theory that like none of the characters has a set costume and that they're all just kind of in... um, it's very much like what Kieran Gillen does, not Kieran Gillen, what uh, Jamie McKelvey does with Miss America's costume in the Young Avengers comic. Like, they just have kind of an aesthetic set of parameters and they can change looks. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, with like a glitter pigment on her eye and wearing like um, jumbo pants, and it, just the whole thing is so gorgeous. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Listen, it is what it is, you know? (sighs) I'm exhausted from talking. Um, This is one of my favorite episodes, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for being here, and uh, hang in there, kitty. You're you're indelible. I don't even know how to introduce you. Listen, this is the third appearance on this podcast of this specific guest. Uh, This is someone whom I consider not only a dear friend, but a uh, fellow traveler through the invisible channels, let's just say, um, and a shapeshifter from whom I have learned a lot. 
uh, this person suggested to me that we do a podcast about Paris Hilton, which has since sent me on a major journey of discovery. I want to welcome John Juan, aka Kiko Soiree, back to the Luminaries. Thank you for being here. It truly is an honor. David, David Odyssey, the honor is all mine. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited to be back here, of course. Thank you for having me. I I I had a, a I like I, like you said, I had a flash of inspiration for Paris Hilton. And then I was like, I hope. David hasn't already talked about Paris Hilton because I said I must be here to talk about Paris Hilton. <laughs> There's, I, I haven't, it, only now talking to you am I starting to see a few of the connections. And I guess I'd, I'd love to hear in your words before I tell you your life, why, why did she light up for you? Um. I was reading a newsletter from an Australian, um, an Asian Australian numerologist, a numerologist who lives in Australia, and I randomly subscribed to her <laughs> newsletter. Her name is Sarah Yip. She. Um, Sorry, I live in Bushwick. There's always shit in the street going I, down. I understand. I, I didn't know if it was like a ghost was coming to say hello. Well, we haven't ruled that out. Um, so Sarah Yip was writing... Um, about, you know, she writes about life path numbers and she was randomly talking about uh, life path number 11, um, which is Sarah's life path and also my life path. And then she also cited Paris Hilton in this little write-up she was doing. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, isn't that fascinating? Paris Hilton and I share the same um, life path number. Now you have many mm. life path numbers, right? You have different, like a soul number, uh, and uh, heart's desire number, but we share the same basic life path number. And I was like, okay, that is fascinating. I've always been intrigued by Paris Hilton. So then I, of course, just dug deeper into it. And I was like, yep, this really solidifies a lot for me. And I am devoted to her now. <laughs> What's interesting, I would say this is, I think there's a similarity, which is you are, you know, I think it's been well established, you are a star. However, as someone who I would say knows you, I think you're quite observant. And you are, there are often times where I've seen you seated and watching and observing and i think paris has something similar which is she is very big she is very public she's very visible but there's clearly wheels spinning that we're not very aware of and i think that's always the case with her um and and that's something i see going on with both of you at least i would say yeah and it's, I think that is kind of like, we, we, she kind of sells herself as this one note thing or, you know, entity institution, mm. but life path number 11 is a lot about contradictory energies and this um, balance and uh, embodiment of masculine and feminine at the same time. And oh. it also is, um, you know, life path number 11 is a master number. Now for anyone new to numerology, I'm not saying, we're not saying we are like masters what it is actually is you're you've been reincarnated many times and your soul is kind of like um wants a bigger 
bigger lesson. Like, and it's almost in a way it's we're bad because we didn't get it the first, you know, couple of hundred times or something. So you come, you're reincarnated with this task, this, this really specific intense energy to kind of, um, to deal with. And a part of it, of life path number 11 is to be a, um, a revolutionary and to kind of understand how you can be revolutionary in your own particular life or circumstance or whatever, and to ultimately be illuminating for other people through what you do. I, I love that. You know, if you think about the 11th hour, it's this kind of crisis, a cinematic crisis. And there's something about that, what you just described as like, there is a duality that is going to be resolved in this lifetime through a high stakes big picture game. This is not going to be like a tiny little incremental change. Like the duality has to come into balance now, you know? And I love that. And I want to say that like, you know, as someone who I think thinks a lot about like ethical living and wellness, part of what I love about Paris Hilton and in fact, a kind of a release <laughs> that she gives me is that even when she's having lucid moments, it's like, you don't think she's getting it. <laughs> You know, yes. it's like she does in some ways live in a totally different world. She, she's obviously part of the 1%. She's uh, a lot of what she does is problematic under capitalism, but then she also loves animals like above everything else. So there is a lot there. And I think that's going to set the course of this uh, episode. So let's just jump in. Paris Hilton, we're, we're not even getting it into the rising, which is not usual for me we need to just focus on the sun right now paris hilton everyone ladies and gentlemen is an aquarius okay if you ever had a doubt <laughs> now you know You're i so watched right. one minute of that documentary and i was like okay this is <laughs> the most aquarian anything i i've ever seen an aquarius essentially is an alien um i'm an aquarius rising you know these are my people um an aquarius aquarius is basically sent here to fix the planet but they can't do it interpersonally because they see everything big picture so an aquarius is going to seem like they don't have a soul because they're like looking at the matrix from way way far out but they're not able to do the whole like human empathy thing, at least in an immediate and obvious way. Yeah. There's something about Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton has her son, Mercury and Venus in Aquarius. Uh, the Mercury is her communication. What? Her son is her, her body. But most interesting to me, I have to say, is the Venus in Aquarius. Venus is her beauty, her artistry, kind of how she's seen and received in the world. Right. And well, can, wait, can I something that just struck please, me? Please, please, please. Like, I, I was also hearing um, what I was just watching someone's Instagram, Instagram stream, um, and they were talking about Aquarius. And it's also like, it is the energy of shaking up institutions, you know, for better or for worse. It's about it's about disruption in a way too. like this alien Definitely. energy. It is against the status quo. And I think like, Sure, maybe you think Paris Hilton is like oh, just another it girl who's part of the mainstream, but she has 
disrupted celebrity culture. And like, I mean, in her documentary, which I'm sure we're going to get into, talk, she really changed the trajectory of the culture, especially in like the celebrity fame me culture as well. 100%. So Paris is a Sagittarius rising, which means on top of the Aquarius, the Aquarius, which is the queer sign, the revolutionary, she's a Sag rising. Sagittarius is the provocateur. Um, it's an agent of travel. It's an agent of dialogue and kind of questioning and maybe asking questions that don't have answers. So when we're looking at a Sag rising with all of this Aquarius, to me, listen, I watched The Simple Life when it was on as a kid, and I was like, yeah, oh my God, these like stupid rich girls, ha ha ha. Okay, last year, my roommate, who is a drag queen, <laughs> showed me The Simple Life again. I think that The Simple Life, and especially Paris Hilton's work, because let's be honest, Nicole Richie is bombed out for most of that show. Paris Hilton's work on The Simple Life may be the single greatest satire of the last 50 years by anyone in America. Paris Hilton is basically saying, I am an alien who just got sent down to this country. George Bush is telling people that there's a real America where there's something called American values and patriotism that has something to do with like shopping at Walmart and eating fast food and like having lots of babies and being a Christian. I am an alien who just got sent down here and I'm going to confront these people and ask the question, why? So watching that show again, and I want to hear your thoughts, there was this element of, oh, I thought the joke was always on Paris, but actually Paris was playing the joke on everyone else because she is this Aquarian, this alien, and this Sag rising, this kind of provocateur, walking through this incredible patriotic George Bush's America, look how strong we are. And basically saying like, this is all a joke, right? Yeah, and I think I 100% I agree. And I think what is even kind of more fat, more fascinating to me is that like, you always ask the question, like, does she, is she doing this on purpose? Like you wonder mm. if, is, is she some sort of like performance art, Mavrina Abramovich, who kind of like has this attention and she has the artist statement on the wall, or is it she really being herself? And it's just like, um, by the nature of her beingness in this weird setting, it's like a fish out of water. That story is telling us something. And it kind of like what you said with Sagittarius, it doesn't have an answer. You could go back and forth all day, but like, that's not the point. The point is that, is that like, it's happening. <laughs> like it is happening. And, and um, for whatever reason, she's, you know, super magnetic, was born into extreme wealth and is doing this is, this is how she's doing it. You know, we learn a little bit of, in the documentary, we see a little peek behind the, the curtain, the YouTube documentary for anyone who's not familiar, you have to watch it. Um, you know, that she does put on this character a little bit, which kind of like leads you into thinking, okay, maybe <laughs> she is like, she does have like a lucid consciousness behind what all she's doing. But then I also think that like, it's just her natural energy. And she really, there's some stuff that she says on The Simple Life, which is just like, that is, she's being herself right, right now. It's, it's really a big question for me because Aquarius is ruled by Uranus. Uranus is that disruptor planet. It's that revolutionary planet. Yeah. 
Her Uranus is in her 12th house. Uh, the 12th house is this kind of secret. It's this That's secret nice. domain. Yeah, it's very subconscious. That Uranus is squaring her sun and her Mercury. I really think that a lot of her, I think that a lot of her own revolutionary ideals might not be immediately in her own awareness. Yes, a hundred percent. I just took the words from my mouth. Like I don't know <laughs> if it's it's always known to her, but that's kind of what, at least for me, what I am so drawn to. Like I'm I'm on the journey of Paris. I'm hundred percent. Yeah, I am buckled in. Like, and and maybe if the journey leads nowhere, I don't care if it has like an ultimate thesis statement. She's just, she knows she is of Venusian beauty. She just represents, she is so much, you know? Well, I want to talk about the Venusian aspect. You know, Venus in Aquarius is what I like to refer as cyborg sexuality. And she is listen, a fembot. Yeah. She's a fembot. There's a lot of hot Venus in, in Aquarius. You know, Timothy Chalamet is one. There's just something when you there's something about Venus in Aquarius to me, which is like, I am, I'm like operating this body remote controlled. There's this idea of like, it isn't this like immediate dropped in. This is maybe the way I see it. There's a little bit of a dissociated sexuality, which is just everything with Aquarius is a little dissociated. It's almost like this rope. It's like a fembot who's being machine operated, which is like, it's this ideal beauty, but there's a remove there. And, you know, when you watch the documentary footage from from her like peak era, it's weird to think of her as a sex symbol because, yes, she's beautiful and she's thin. And I, I understand that she was inhabiting a lot of the beauty standards of that time, but she's I don't know. I, I'm trying to think how to how to explain it. I think that there are some stars where they're like radiating with this like either animal magnetism or this kind of like goddess femininity. And that's not really what's going on here. Okay. With her, it's this like projection yep. of, of like a screen femininity, you know? Yep. And I, I think this is, I, I, so I have recently binged, of course, all of Cooking with Paris. <laughs> and I was re-reminded that like I think what we're what you're kind of talking around is that the fact that she knows and is aware on some level that she's putting on a character is this kind of like remote control um like device she yeah. knows she knows that she's doing Paris but it also it's not like she doesn't feel the need to really say like, but there's also this other side of me that you guys don't know. It, it's a, it's, it's both. Yeah, like in her documentary, we do get a peek behind the curtain, and she speaks a little bit up, bit about that. But then she so easily slips in and out of, um, I, I mean, kind of like drag life. She is a drag queen, you know. Well, what I love about cooking with Paris is like she and kim kardashian are cooking together right kim kardashian is a libra what is kim kardashian's objective in this episode to show how relatable she is you Shut know when i'm cooking oh with my, my kids i clean as i go we've been making pizzas at home okay 
I, she was giving such intense mom energy. I was right. Like, I was like, okay. <laughs> because that's Kim as a Libra being like, how can I give this impression of relatability so people can see what they want to see in me? Paris, oh. the Aquarius is truly like, what is a dishwasher? I'm not from this planet and I can't even hide it, you know, which I love. Um, Paris's Aquarius is in her second house of earning and self-worth. Um, Venus is ruling her fifth house of creative expression, her 10th house of career. There is a sense, I think, that this Aquarianism is armor. It is a creation and it is a deployment. Mm -hmm. I think the question is how much of it is her that she feels associated with and how much of it is this bigger thing that she's created but i think one way or another the fembot that has been deployed is not only a means of earning i think it is a way to feel safe uh emerging into the world right um paris like me hello has mars and pisces Whoa. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard a lot about Mars and Pisces. Me, Elizabeth Taylor, Carrie Fisher, Marilyn Monroe. This is a bombshell symbol. So again, this Mars and Pisces, it's this idea that your body is cinematic. People can project onto your body a fantasy. And I think, again, for her, there's a lot of armor there. That's in her third house of self-expression. I think there's a huge way to be really protected there. She's got Neptune in her first house. Neptune is like this idea of I can make myself a fantasy and I can make myself nebulous. So I think that for her, this zooming out is a way of cashing in and a way of staying kind of safe. And the more vulnerable parts of her are a little bit more protected. Mm -hmm. And I think we we kind of get to the we kind of get to the um, I mean she kind of offers us the root of all of this right when in her documentary this is not a spoiler because you know it's kind of the point of the documentary you know she talks about when she was had her like abusive time in those um, like a behavior rehabilitation camps in Utah and she was in those solitary cells and then she would just kept keep saying to herself like. I'm, I'm like going to do whatever I want, or like, I will be successful. And it was just yeah. like this, this, like this, um, totally this, uh, device she uses, this projection she uses is her, not just an armor, but like, it was her lifeline. Like this will, I will, I will do this, you know, this is what's going on for me. Paris Hilton has her moon in Leo. Okay. In the eighth me. house of ego death and metamorphosis, and the eighth house of family inheritance. Paris's north node is conjunct her moon. Her moon is squaring both Chiron in her fifth house of creation and motherhood, and in Taurus, so a theme of ownership. And it's squaring Lilith, Lilith, the original exile, 
Like us, she has Lilith in Scorpio in her 11th house of network and community. Okay. A Leo moon, and I want to hear your thoughts about this, but a Leo moon really wants to be seen as themselves at a core and fundamental level. And that Leo moon is in her eighth house of family inheritance. And when it's squaring Lilith and squaring Chiron, especially Lilith and Scorpio, which is all about truth, I think that there's an aspect of she's clearly brilliant, she's clearly an original, but based on the circumstances of who she is, her family, and the way she looks, I think when she was voicing her own point of view or wanting to be seen as an individual, she was likely punished, rejected, castigated, seen as kind of a rich, blonde, stupid party girl, whatever. And that part of her, that really authentic part of her, the Leo part of her who's like, I need to be seen for who I truly am, got a bit um, shut down. That Leo is in an opposition with Venus in Aquarius in her second house of earning. And I think that that Venus Aquarius was like, I'm going to go behind the curtain and I'm going to create a version of the thing that people want in a way that fucks everything up, um, but that protects me a little bit. How is any of this feeling? Wow. I mean, Avalanche, I am digesting it. I think- Yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) No, I love it. (laughs) Loves it. Um, (laughs) But- I, well, what struck me, of course, because I have this kind of opposition in my chart too, was Sun and Aquarius, Moon and Leo, right? Leo and Aquarius are opposites of one another. And those are very different kind of energies. Now I have a Leo South Node, uh, Aquarius North Node, Leo Sun. So I am familiar with this kind Mm. of intention of like wanting to be seen, but also standing on the perimeter. Mm. Um, and I think when it's in your, the sun and the moon, that is like such a contradiction that we do see even in moments of cooking with Paris. And that was, I was re-reminded of it. Like, you know, she's cooking, she's asking, you know, fucking Siri, what a lemon zester is. She's doing all this like crazy stuff. You're like, okay, we get it. You're kind of like just having fun and maybe you really don't know, but who knows? It doesn't matter. But then she, you know, has moments where she's with Demi Lovato, which I think is one of her best guests. And Mm. um, she's talking to them and she's really like, honestly um, inspired and and feels connected to the way, uh, you know, to Demi's story and to how Demi has like um, shown themselves in the public sphere. And you can really see these like few couple of like seconds where like Paris really is like, whoa, I also want to be seen like that. But then it switches back. It switches right back, you know? Yes. In the <laughs> similar way, like I found on the documentary, yeah, the moment of real pathos is when Paris has two fans come to the Japan airport who like yes. traveled three days to see her. Yes. And Paris goes to them and is like, the, you know, that's like, I am so happy to see you, you know? And that to me is the Leo moon a little bit, which is like, there is a, a real, I think there's a real side to her that 
has there's clearly a huge amount of originality and clearly a huge observation and a lot of empathy i guess i'm curious what do you think about a leo moon like what do you think that is so we understand our moon signs right to be what kind of our our daily ritual of balance right and how we kind of nurture ourselves is this or how else do you think of a moon sign like our, I mean, I know people say our inner lives, but like, what do you, how would you really paint it? I think it's where you get your sense of security right. and your sense, sense of, of safety. Security. Now, I think for, I mean, being a Leo son, I think to me that says in my inner life and to feel secure, I need people, some people to really know, to witness my inner life. Yeah. And, and to um, see that. And I think maybe that's, as she's gotten older, why she's doing these things, even like a documentary, right? To kind of like pull back the curtain and say like, this is who I really am, or this is me when I'm not, um, when I'm being a little bit more vulnerable, right? The moon is femininity and vulnerability. Yeah. Being open and receiving, right? Who is here to receive me? Leo is always going to be a little Bit, like you know wanting to be witnessed and to be seen right but that is yeah that is kind of like i guess the way that that dynamic might work and so for me like what's going on when that moon squares lilith um so we're the lilith and scorpio generation which and to I, me i've said i don't know a yeah. lot about that i don't know a lot about okay that. well um i say this a lot but okay. Lilith and Scorpio is gaslighting. We are the I gaslit generation. <laughs> you know, Lilith is this like condemned female and Scorpio is this sign of sexuality and power and truth. And she has Lilith and Scorpio in her 11th house. The 11th house is about your public network. So off the bat- in Paris. I, exactly. There you go. Her, her Leo is in her eighth house of family inheritance. So there's this side of her that's like, okay, girl, one way or another, you're the face of the family. Like her dad always called her stars. Like she's the one she's kind of chosen to be the heiress figure, whatever. And already that Lilith in Scorpio is like, well, the minute you step out the door, you are going to be turned into this like Bathsheba pariah, not pariah, but Mark. Any gaslighting that's go exactly because Mark. your your girlness, your womanness, your sexuality, not gonna cut it. It's it's George Bush's America, it's post 9-11. And then she has Chiron and Taurus. Chiron represents kind of a central wound. It's in her fifth house of creative expression and motherhood. Taurus to me is all about individual ownership. And it's in her house of creativity. It's her, it's the creativity that makes her, this is my own. And that's squaring her Leo moon too. So again, there's just this sense of like, don't try to break away and don't try to be your own thing. Okay. Because you are marked, you have this face, you have this visibility and it's going to define you. So what does she do? I think that's when she programs her Libra 10th house, hello, which is I am going to manage my beauty and I'm going to market my beauty and I'm going to turn my beauty into a business one. And then I think she gets this Venus Aquarius, which is 
I am going to program this like vessel and whether she knows it or not, the vessel is fucking revolutionary because it's an Aquarius. So I think in her head, she's like, I'm going to use my beauty to like double down basically. And I'll give them what they want. But really she's subverting everything. She's flipping right. everything and she's fucking everything over, you know, right. in this amazing way. Right. And I think like, and then there's also this, like, I mean, I, I, I think of the moon also as like a daily kind of like calling, right? Sun, moon, and rising. Mm. Or like these. So then there's also this daily reminder of like, I, I, I really want people to know who I am. Right. And mm -hmm. I think you're totally right. There was, is a lot of programming. I mean, hello, she literally spent so long in cooking with Paris talking about how she came to the idea of slipping, which <laughs> is so dumb. It is so dumb. <laughs> it is like, it is like rocks falling on you. Like this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but yet it is also the funniest and maybe the most brilliant thing I've also heard. <laughs> living stands for slaying and living your best life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not slaying and living. It's slaying plus living your best life. And what I love about, no, sorry, continue. Okay, last thing, it's like, and no, I no, think no. What, is, what kind of shows maybe this, again, this kind of like suggestion of loose, lucid consciousness or like almost, I don't know, architect, you know, the, the architect in the matrix level of thinking is that someone suggested other things to her, I think like at that party or, or no, or, or, in Cooking with Paris, someone said something and she was like, oh, garnish, maybe like, was the word. She's like, oh, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't really like it. And, <laughs> and then, but at this party, when she discovered sliving, she was just like sliving. Wait, I'm obsessed. And it just like, <laughs> it, it, it hit her. And then she was like, oh, it's sliving. And then sliving is all over. It's everywhere. You know, it's all over her Instagram <sighs> page. Everything she does, she's marketing sliving. She's doing it. But she's... I don't know. As someone who also like sometimes can very easily eye roll at celebrities just trying to market shit for the sake of it, I will digest anything Paris says. If she wants to sell me slipping, I don't care because she looks like she's genuinely having fun with it, you know? And it's part of this like, this like large layer of simulacra that she knows she's surfing. Mm. Well, Paris, you know, Paris knows that when she was wearing Ed Hardy and Juicy Couture, which are considered two of the most tacky events in fashion history, yeah. yep. Yep. that she and she says in the first episode, she was like, Kim and I elevated selfies and we elevated tracksuits. She is very aware that like, Taste doesn't matter. Fame matters. And like, what I love is that she has Libra in her 10th house. She has Jupiter conjunct Saturn right at her midhouse. Libra is the sign of beauty, but she's a Sag rising. Jupiter rules Sag. Jupiter is the planet of a little bit too much. It's a planet of overabundance, excess. It's immediately conjunct Saturn. Saturn is the planet of like, rigidity and rules and structure they're kind of like a perfect it's a perfect clash it's very explosive 
They're right on top of each other in her public house. There's just this sense of like taste and the lack of taste, beauty, all of it. It, it, it's I'm trying to explain it. She's a Sag rising and beauty is her business, but there is no like level or limit or scale to that beauty. It is just like, maybe again, this is her Aquarius, but it's her being like, I'm not in that body. So I can just push everything as far as I want because I don't really care, Right. you know? I mean, like, okay, so I'm going to bring in another celebrity, you know, the podcast is not about her, but also someone whom I adore is in my circle of celebrities I, worship, I, I love. Audrey Hepburn, right? Audrey mm. Hepburn is someone who is also known for their beauty, but there's also an elegance and there's also an, uh, a sense of enough, right? There's also like, uh, Audrey is, is not doing what Paris is doing, but they're both beautiful in their own respects. And I think kind of seeing these these differences will help us understand Paris. Like you just yes. said, with Paris, t- she is, you know, like messing around with what does taste mean, right? What and what does <laughs> beauty mean, right? I mean, and in an Aquarian way, she is taking something that what taste, right? Which is essentially like taste is class, right? Taste, taste is um. <laughs> is at the intersection, uh, truly is at the intersection of socioeconomic class because who yes. defines taste? Taste makers, who are taste makers? People in the 1%, people who are, you know, uh, uh, wanting themselves to be, you know, the creating creative directors of fashion brands or whatever, 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 who are saying, this is what is beautiful. This is what the mass market wants. She took something, right? That was disgusting and made it incredible. That is in its own way, very Aquarian to say like, it does not matter. I do not care what you think. I, I will, I will make it amazing. Period. Period. And then, and then, and then after she does that, you see like, I, and I only say this because truly some, my Jewish friend who's getting married just told me that she was in high school. She begged her mom for a pair of two stick pants. That's right. Tons of Jewish girls all wearing. Oh, you have no idea. All, you know, juicy couture pants, tons of straight guys, all at these clubs wearing Ed Hardy. It's just like, she, she's like, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. And I think that is kind of like what I find I admire about her. <laughs> she's just like, it's like, okay, whatever. I'm going to make it hot. And that's kind of the ultimate Regina George thing to do. Like with the cutout shirt, you know, that scene where she like has no, yes, she's like, okay, whatever. I have so much to say, you know, I'm looking at Audrey Hepburn's chart. First of all, about Audrey Hepburn, that's a brilliant comparison. Audrey Hepburn's a Taurus. She has a lot of planets in the Aries Taurus arena, which is very embodied. Yeah. So when you look at Audrey Hepburn, you think I could be her. I could be kissed the way she is kissed. I could look the way she looks, you know? Paris is this. Paris is when you buy the new Sims video game and you go in and you say, well, in my real life, I have to be whatever boring and responsible. I'm going to create a Sims family where everyone's hair is pink and we eat candy every day and there are no rules. Paris is so downloaded 
and not embodied. She is basically saying none of this is real. This is all fake. So let's fuck with it. You know, Paris has Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto in Libra. Libra is this planet of beauty and appearances and harmony and the the social order. Mm -hmm. Pluto is the destroyer. Pluto has come to fuck with that. And her Pluto is supporting her Aquarius sun and it's supporting, it's all in a perfect sextile pattern with her Neptune and Sagittarius. A Sagittarius rising or a Sag sun or a Sag moon is always going to be driven by this question of why like Sag is very much like, you know, when a kid gets to the certain age where they start asking questions and it's really annoying because you don't have the answer to any of them. That's really Sag. Uh, Her Neptune and Sag is really there. It's really saying like, I'm going to embody this like, fuck you attitude. And that Pluto and Libra is basically saying like, there is no nothing about this means anything and then we have our aquarius which is really revolutionary which is just like there is no point to this there is no meaning to this 9 11 happened nothing matters and like dread you know i there is no such thing as high or low and i don't know it's just it's incredible to me she's basically saying like this is a matrix let's crash it together i mean that's why i i really do call her and i think of her as kind of like one of the original drag queens like yes unquote. like yes. i mean gotmik obviously did an amazing impression of paris you know on rupaul's drag race but like she really she really is like fucking with the 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 state of reality. I mean, like in Cooking with Paris, there's this one little again these little seconds where she really kind of reveals herself for just one little second. She's yeah. going to shop. She's doing some Italian night. She is. She says she complains, and you can really tell this is a real complaint. She could. She says oh, it's so hard to shop with gloves. It's so annoying. And she's like trying to pick up a basket or something or like <laughs> do something, and she goes, oh, "But I have to do it for the look." <laughs> like with total like gravita and and you're just like yeah yeah bitch we know you're doing it for like absolutely you're doing it and and she's she's not really i mean maybe she she's not doing it for this show like she's that's this is her this is really her you know there is this asp there's a scene there's sorry not a scene there's a part in the kim kardashian episode yeah. where she's like next year when I'm married and having babies, I'm going to cook like this all the time, which is outrageous, outrageous. right? She is close to, uh, yeah. yeah, She we know she is a mogul. She's close <laughs> to being worth a billion dollars. That's all she wants. And yes, I, I really do hope that if she wants a relationship and children that by all means, but that idea of like, again, being like, oh right femininity motherhood like family woman it's so like mars attacks of like i'm gonna do a wife it's so drag of like i'm gonna put on a wig and like be a mom now and it's so like wait what you know what i mean of just like this is so the drag aspect is really there and i also think like that's something about her venus and aquarius too where it's like Yes, of course, she was so feminine and she is so feminine, but it's like 
it's like a it's an it's a performance and when men in that era when you're watching the documentary and men are like she's so hot like i want to fuck her it's like you're what are you seeing right now because she's kind of playing you you know i mean yeah that's like just the barely the first letter of the onion you know it's she's also like my friend i was watching cooking with girls with a friend and my friend said after she made that comment about starting a family they said oh well we've got to see a show about that and and, you know like we probably will you know and and i want to because it's like it's almost in a weird way she is so fitted for reality tv you know i i agree i think her Saturn and her Jupiter right there in the in that 10th house, right on her midheaven, her, her most public point. Wow. Saturn is ruling her first house, this Capricorn, this intense drive to survive and succeed. Jupiter's also ruling her first house, her Sag. Right. Because I also There's, think, yeah. yeah, money. I mean, like, I, I, as she said this in the documentary. Which again, I have to say to everyone who's going to listen, you have to watch it's on YouTube. It did not get enough press that it deserved. Um, <laughs> this random documentary on YouTube—you got to watch it, babe. Um, you know, she says, um, you know, like making money and being successful is her coping mechanism. Like of like, it's what kept her her the lights on for her when she felt at her most low. So obviously, this is going to be something like that you just pointed out in the chart, like this core fuel to keep her fighting. But there's an inherent contradiction because Saturn is representing the Capricornian drive, which is work through the system to succeed and survive. Right. Play whatever rules you need to play. Which she is kind of doing, right? Yes. But then Jupiter represents the Sagittarian impulse, which is... Why are you Let's that? ask big questions. What's the philosophy behind this? Why don't we push this a little further to see if it breaks? And they're right on top of each other. And I don't even think she's aware that there is an inherent contradiction to every single thing she has ever done, which is like, sh- okay. But that's, but like, that, yeah. that's why she's, I mean, literally. That's like, what's genius. That is why I love her. I really yes. love her. I finished cooking with Paris and I just said out loud in the room, I love Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I mean, like, she is so full of contradictions. And it's not, and I think in reality TV, it's so easy to just be like, I like this or I don't like this, or I think this show is good or it was a guilty pleasure. Sometimes I finish watching Paris and, and I was like, I don't know what to make of you, but I'm into it because sometimes you do like vibe in a way that's like, I don't know. Again, I, I agree. I agree with what you said. She's not, maybe she's not fully aware of the struggle that's going on with her, but seeing that kind of play out on screen, right? Yes. On screen is part of the um, star quality. So I want to talk to you about something really fundamental, which you and I have discussed a lot. Yeah. Which is the Leo Aquarius duality. Yeah. Right now, actually, we're in a big Leo Aquarius moment. Um, as at the time of this recording, we are about to go through the second full moon in Aquarius in, in a row. It's a double full moon. Mm-hmm. 
we're having a lot of planets moving through Aquarius. You and I, as we talked, have our North Node in Aquarius and our South Node in Leo. What was really upsetting for me about the documentary were those moments where she was so caught up in, I am just going to propagate myself for the sake of making a billion dollars. And I'm just going to put my face out there. I'll DJ, I'll do these stupid beauty lines, whatever. And that to me was when I was like, you're losing your Aquarius and you're losing your Leo because Leo really needs a purpose. And I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that Leo Aquarius duality and what that means. So, I mean, when I think traditionally of Aquarius, I hear, I read and I hear things like, you know, concern, I mean, humanitarian, future-oriented, progressive, disruptive of systems. If Leo is the center and the sun, right, then Aquarius is at the periphery um, with the masses, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, and comfortable, actually wants to be a, a nobody, right, in a way or to be unseen, an alien. Um, and neither is, you know, good or bad, right? We're, I mean, obviously we're past giving a moralistic judgment on them, but like they're just the two entities, right? They're opposite one another in the zodiac circle. Um, and for Paris, it's kind of like, sure, I can empathize with her, this like huge desire to want to succeed in a uh in the within the systems that exist such as creating what like 18 beauty lines and um and being an international dj and just kind of like saying off the cuff like yeah i have like 20 computers they're all broken (laughs) bitch like i have nursed my one computer i got in college for like 10 years before it just like puttered out on me and died right (laughs) it's like okay, we get like, there's this kind of like, you do kind of want to judge her and be like, you're rich, you're materialistic, you're misguided, you are, um, I can't relate to you because you live in this like, totally fantasy removed world. But then she also exemplifies, you know, she has, I think that regardless of wherever you are, people have a story to tell. I'm not going to just write someone off because they're rich or something it's not like the french revolution right um she has an interest she is appeals to humanity humanity in her own way and i think in some ways it's um entertaining moon and leo like her inner life also will be entertaining and witnessed um and she has an incredible influence um, in social media and whatnot. And, you know, she's doing her thing about uh, trauma, especially people who have experienced um, trauma within those camps. So I don't know. I think we're on a journey. We don't know where she's going to land. Like, maybe she will spend the rest of her life just kind of being comfortable, but I don't think her chart is going to lead her in the way of comfort for the rest of her life. I don't know if that's like her landing point. No, you know, I loved everything you just said. And this is what I'm thinking about. You know, two of my favorite Aquarians are Alexander Hodorowsky, Alejandro Hodorowsky, and Grant Morrison. 
Hodorowsky is this like filmmaker and there's this documentary called Hodorowsky's Dune and it's my favorite documentary. And in it, you hear him talk about when I was making this movie, I wanted it to be about this. When I was making, when he was making his version of Dune that never got completed in the early seventies, he wanted to make a movie about the LSD generation and what it felt like to discover LSD. Cool. Grant Morrison, who's who's like the greatest comic book writer in history, wrote this book, which I just reread. I reread it every year. It's called Super Gods. And he's talk, they are talking about all of these comic books they created and what was going on at the time. And they'll say, when I was writing this Batman story, I wanted to explore this thing going on in the culture or whatever. I think Aquarianism is driven by some sort of an ethos. That's just it's what it is. Val- that it, it is it is value. It, it is saying like, what can I maybe like channel? Um, yes. In terms of like an energy or about or, I mean um I mean what does Chani say like even like in 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 her book like Aquarius wants to is driven to feel confident in presenting uh, a confidence in its intellect right confidence yeah. in, pre- in presenting its own ideas. And I, I, I feel this actually intimately because um, my dad is an Aquarius and I see kind of like everything that he's done within his life. And he is also totally an alien, like does not understand just some basic social interaction things, like why they're necessary, but also will like go on, you know, has like many um, programming patents, is always thinking about like ideas of how the world can be better or even how computer systems can be better. Computing, of course, is innovation and technology, which is future oriented. And so like, I do have that energy that I, from my dad and also within me, like engaging with that. And it's like, yeah, it has to be driven by um, how are we thinking differently? And then Leo exactly. is, is who, what do I feel and who am I, right? And it's also, Well, Leo can deliver that ethos. Leo can say, you are this genius, like kind of Wizard of Oz character, the Aquarius. I can be the one who can bring this out and embody it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that connection is really beautiful because the Aquarius without that Leo element is really flung out of space. Right. I mean, like what other, I mean, obviously they, they need, they need one another i mean i just rewatched the matrix too because i'm rewatching the Matrix, oh. and so we just came across this oh my point. god how many hours <laughs> do you have okay bitch. <laughs> okay all as per usual this we could talk for five to <laughs> six hours but so Grin and i are rewatching the matrix we rewatched one every time they uttered even a sentence i go well that's iconic well it's that's masterpiece iconic. you can't trinity period trinity. the matrix created by two trans, trans. sisters by yep. the way yeah. yeah which the rewatch value especially now in today's social climate is even more powerful beyond Anyways, the second one installment of course is a little bit more trash <laughs> just action oriented totally just kind of like whatever they knew it was going to be a hit people were going to see it but they did kind of introduce this idea that you know machines need people and people need machines that's what mm. we're playing with and so that's leo and aquarius but like so Beautiful. just for the sake of example what's another big dichotomy that you observe in the zodiac wheel like that might speak to this relationship another dichotomy would be like pisces virgo 
Okay. And and I, I want to hear you tell me about that. Pisces is I'm going to lose myself completely. Virgo is I have to define myself. Oh my God. That <laughs> you're sending me. Which is the Rihanna Beyonce divide, by the way. You know, so Rihanna is a Pisces, right? Rihanna's a Pisces. I'm going to smoke a joint and I'm going to be in the vibe. Oh my God. Beyonce I'm is, dying. I am a Virgo. This is I me. Know. This is what I am. September you know? Four. And also like, let me, let me put it all together. Let me make sure every stitch is, stitch is right. You know? Right. I'm, exactly. I'm going to bedazzle this whole dress. Exactly. Exactly. Like, that is fascinating. I did not know that Rihanna was a Pisces and Listen, it's people, major. <laughs> this is uh, my first time doing a chart, but, you know, David here is really giving you all the wisdom. <laughs> that is incredible. Okay, that is incredible. So I have a Mercury in Virgo, so I, ha- I do know the Virgo energy. Right. I don't have any Pisces, actually, in my chart. Okay. But um, hearing that help- is very healing in a way just like oh this is how you're how things could be as well it's important to always know i think maybe this is what i'm kind of getting to in my questioning is what could you also be other than the gifts that you have well frankly i'm just going to say this like i recently did a white lotus astrology piece which i was using to explore the dualities of the zodiac but i think it got translated to the more standard like which sign are you? And I think people misunderstood that I was trying to talk about the concepts of the dualities of astrology rather than like, you're a Taurus, therefore you're this character. Mm -hmm. I think that duality thing is really important because Leo gets thought of as selfish, but actually Leo has this bigger thing on the other side of the coin, you know? Mm -hmm. I think with Paris, the kind of curse, <laughs> but, or mean, maybe the genius. The curse slash genius, ha- you know, also, you know, Lilith, right, in Scorpio. Exactly, thank you, is that her Uranus is in that 12th house of undoing, in that 12th house of like the invisible, the subconscious. I think that her revolutionary ideas aren't apparent to her in advance. I think her actions then lead to these revolutions and she's like, Oh yeah, I guess I am a genius, but I think she's the 12th house is very much about blindness. (laughs) And I truly think that she's blind to what she's doing, which is the key to her genius. Because if Paris said, I am a basically performance artist who's going to destroy American femininity from the inside, maybe people wouldn't buy it. But because of this, like blind spot, almost. Exactly. We're truly watching this experiment unfold, which is why the simple life was genius because it was like, who's playing who right now? Right. I mean, the simple and she life, played George Bush and she won. But she, yeah, I mean, that was reality TV that defined an era, the simple life beyond right? beyond. And <laughs> I mean, like she coined it all. Like, that's hot. Loves it. Like, you know, it's just all this idiocy that is was incredible. <laughs> but what's bone chilling about the documentary john is the part when kim kardashian is like if it weren't for her i wouldn't be here and it's like 
well, I don't know that it's a good thing that you are here, girl. <laughs> like, it's such a weird, moralistic, bizarro world watching that documentary because, like, it is such... And this is, to me, the Sag and the Aquarius, is it's like, we need a little morality here. Right, right. I mean, I think that, like, it's a lot. I think it's a lot. Um, I think even if, you know, let's say later when we listen to this podcast or anyone listening to this podcast, even just reflecting now, you and I have oscillated between how we feel about Paris because that's just like her energy. But if we were talking yes. about keeping up with the Kardashians, I think I would have come to the table with a lot cleaner point of view and saying like, well, this is actually what I think about Kim. And it's kind of like, Kim is a little bit more one note, right? And even though Kim has a facade of like, whatever she is, you can say how you feel about Kim and then that's it. I hate to drag Libras, but there's just a thing with Libra. And listen, by the way, we're talking about Paris has a lot of planets in Libra. Libra is a social climber. Libra just wants to make money and have nice things and be liked by everyone. Paris has that. And Kim has that. Paris's Aquarianism to me is what. Differentiates them. It's it's the alien. That's where I'm like, okay, you're not like the rest of us and you're doing something different. And I want to know what that is, you know? No, because also like, I mean, in Cooking with Paris, she, I mean, this is obviously known in her documentary and even in The Simple Life, but she revives it again, which makes you know that like, this really is her. She handwrites her cookbook in her own handwriting in (laughs) rainbow alternating pens. Like she is in some way stuck (laughs) as a 14 year old or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is- that's Paris. And it's kind of like, you're like, why? And maybe you can deduce why after you watch the documentary, but like, is she just stuck in childhood because she was traumatized or is she just kind of this free spirit and she just likes what she likes? I mean, she really, I do believe at the end of the day, she really does like sugar cereals. She's not just pretending to like it. She really likes it. And maybe this sounds so stupid to double down on but I think that that is the key to so much. I agree. <laughs> I, she, Paris, likes sugar cereals, period. That's one fact that we can agree on. I don't think she's faking it. I really just believe it. That and is kind of where you can go from that. What's futuristic to talk about drag again, when Rue started Drag Race, Rue was doing something really revolutionary because Rue was showing the world when these people are in drag they're in drag but when they're in the confessionals they look like how they are out of drag because drag queens might just be normal looking people who then become these characters and at the time that was really revolutionary because people didn't even know that drag queens were like human beings now drag race is going to an event horizon of paris which is there is no divide Everyone is becoming these kind of superhero drag avatars 24 hours a day. And there is no on or off. There is no behind the curtain. There is no, like, there, there is, is no, no duality. I'm femme now, and I'm a little bit more mask now. It's just, exactly. It is. And Paris, I think, has kind of played with that, which is like, if you don't want to let me have a private self, fine. I'm going to blur everything until none of us knows the difference. None. It's crazy. Wow. Incredible. I'm riveted. I I mean, I'm so riveted. I'm going to go back now and rewatch 
some parts of the simplest because I, I watched the super cuts just as a refresher to get into this but i might start from the beginning and do a whole rewatch it's it rocked my world um it's the only class commentary i think that happened in that decade honestly yeah in this I mean, country <laughs> if you think about i mean what other yeah tv was different in that time what like gilmore girls which i could talk about for a long time as same. a product of the bush era same like, if you think about the simple life existing that is like a big f you oh my god it's huge i'm probably going to rewatch the matrix reloaded because oh, absolutely but although one is so much better than two no you should just watch two you and i uh, if anyone listened to our interview about Alita Battle Angel on the last Kiko episode. Oh my God, I can't believe we talked about Alita Battle Angel. John and I really come together in the arena of bad gay cinematic taste, which is to say, this movie is not good. Does it have a lot of value? Yes. yes. And we're going to fight for it. Yes, it does. Alita Battle Angel has a lot of that. <laughs> I'm going to cry thinking about it. I was just having a drink last night with someone and I told them I was rewatching The Matrix. And actually, we got into a conversation. I was like, well, have you seen Aquaman? And they're like, no. I was like, well, have you seen Alita Battle Angel? They're like, no. I was like, okay, well, have you seen Ready Player One? <laughs> like no i was like okay well have you seen <laughs> jupiter rising jupiter ascendant right jupiter rising jupiter ascendant thank you jupiter ascendant and, oh you know, major the all these films the taste is questionable but the value is incredible which is paris which is her saying fuck taste you know ed hardy juicy couture oh god um okay Kiko, you know, whoever's not already knowing and following you and obsessed with you, uh, you know, God help them. But where can people until you and I start our movie podcast, which like is happening? Hi, yeah, um, like, hi, AMC. We'll do your very niche <laughs> segment on on like the movies we like, which actually do have like a trend. We're not like just picking random <laughs> movies. There's a connective connectivity to them. No, and it's very queer. <laughs> very um, queer. Where can people be following you? Okay, mostly I live out of under a rock, but occasionally <laughs> I pop up on Instagram at Kiko Soiree, K-I-K-O Soiree, S-O-I-R-E-E. -E. I'm on Twitter very rarely and Facebook never again. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Hey, follow me on Facebook. <laughs> See pictures of me from when I was 12. <laughs> I have a buzz cut. By the way, all of half of my listeners are like, David's on Instagram. What a fucking loser. He's not on TikTok. So I think yeah. like the cycle is meant to just perpetuate forever. Hey, listen, we're here for you and we love you. And yeah, we celebrate you. And thank you for going on this ride. Um, I'm going to stop recording. Kiko, thank you so much for being here. Bye. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Art by Greg Kozatek and music by Henry Kapersky. Thank you so much for listening. I would so, so, so appreciate if you could leave a review, a five-star rating, etc., etc., on iTunes. I don't know if you can rate things on Spotify, but you get the idea. Tell your friends. You know where to find me. I will see you next Tuesday. With all my love, David Odyssey.